0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. I trust you had a good week. I'd like to say a big thank you to Pastor John for sharing the word last week because what had actually occurred, and it wasn't planned, it was just I can see God's working through Pastor John's heart and, and the burden that he placed on my heart also, is that they were almost very foundational truths that we have in our relationship with Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at the sovereignty of God in the life of Joseph. And Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, we had the, Joseph talking with his brothers, and he said along the lines of, what you, in, "What you meant for harm, God intended for good." So, what is happening right now? Also, what is happening right now could take place the saving of many lives. And that as we looked in hindsight at the way God was working in Joseph's life, he had his hand upon every situation, both good and bad. I think, I don't know if I put the quote up there by John Owen. We cannot enjoy peace in this world unless we are ready to yield to the will of God in respect of death. Our times are in his hand at his sovereign disposal. We must accept that as best. And that's essentially lived out through Joseph, that he was accepted irrespective of the prison, the separation, the false accusations, the enslavement, the betrayal. All of that took place in Joseph's life. And Joseph, in hindsight, can look and say, God had intended this for good. A foundational truth that we find it difficult to grasp because we only see what is in front of us. Then last week, Pastor John shared another foundational truth, which was the love of God. The love of God. And it was quite amazing because it is both his nature, his very nature is love. Henry Blackaby, which I've quoted many times, said God cannot express himself other than an expression of perfect love. And we looked at 1 John chapter 4, Verses 7 and 8, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So God, his very nature and love has been our very source of strength. And I would encourage you to memorize that verse in Psalm 18, verse 1. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength from the King James. The choice to love. And as shared in John 13, that hereby shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so we have these two foundational truths of the sovereignty of God, how he is in control of everything, and coupled with that, with the love of God, which is his nature and our very source of our being. And I thought as I looked at this foundation, these foundational truths, that the foundational truth that should flow naturally from understanding and realizing and living out by faith upon these foundational truths here, which was a third basic truth, which is that of the purpose of God, the very purpose of God. And it makes sense. If God is in control and God is love in which we find our strength in being, then that should then flow into the reason for our existence, why we are still here. Why we weren't called to heaven from the get-go when Jesus saved us from sin and brought us into his marvelous light. Our purpose. Our purpose is defined as the reason for which something exists. The definitive reason for something instilled upon it by the maker or cause. So in light of God's sovereignty and connection with God's love, my existence is to have a specific purpose. Uh, A student defined it at school, a reason for being here. And so I thought, in a very nice little acronym way, nowhere near as skilled as Pastor John in creating acronyms, I thought it makes sense then if we're going to look at the sovereignty of God, the love of God flowing into the purpose of God, today we are going to examine what I call slop. What I call... (laughs) That took me a long time to figure that one out, okay? All right. Purpose, purpose. The person who made the chairs you sit on made it with a specific purpose to be met. I know those aren't the chairs you sit on. Those look far more fancier, but those were just on the, on the internet. But the chairs that you are sitting on are made with the specific purpose of being sat on. Now, we can utilize them and use them for certain things. We can use it as a barrier if you're playing dodgeball. We can use it to stack up as obstacles or as a wall of protection. We can do a lot of things with these chairs. If you like, you can use it as a weapon and throw it at somebody. But that's not the intended purpose of the maker. The maker, when they created the chairs you're sitting on, had designed them for a specific purpose of being sat upon. We agree? very cool. Shoes. We have shoes of all sorts and all sizes. We have shoes that you wear to go out to look nice. At. I mean, ladies' shoes, they look really neat. They make you taller, but they look so uncomfortable. They look so uncomfortable. Guys' shoes, I mean, these shoes I've had now, I've had these shoes I'm wearing at the moment now for the last, what is it, three years. Three years. I bought them for my mom's funeral. They're actually steel cap work boots. They're very comfortable. Definitely not women's shoes, but they're shoes nonetheless. Now, you can use shoes for different things. You can use shoes as paperweights, as doorstops, you can use it to throw at people, or in a Polynesian's case, use it as a weapon of mass destruction. But, but that is not the intended design of a shoe. For those who have seen Infinity War and what, that's my mum used to have a pair of shoes that were like that, with all the gems. But that's that's essentially that is essentially, okay. When something is made, it is made with a specific purpose by the maker or by the cause that initiate it. Uh, philosophically speaking, one person said, anything that had a beginning has a cause or has a purpose for it being there. Now, the reason why I start off with something like this is because in the world today, especially in 21st century Australia, in modern day society, people now have the idea that they can create their own purpose, that they can create their own meaning. Now, in a, in a roundabout way you yeah, I, I can understand what they're saying. And in a way, I say, well, you know, my purpose in life is to be good to others. Okay, that's fine. My purpose in life is to have good relationships. Okay, that is fine. My purpose in life is to be a good parent, or this, or that, or the other, is to make money, is to provide for uh, my family, or to better the community. The only problem is this. A shoe cannot create its own purpose. A chair cannot create its own purpose. A piano cannot create its own purpose. Purpose must be instilled upon it by someone or something far greater to fulfill that specific design. And so for us as people to create our purpose, at best, at best, we can lead some sort of contented life that will give us a reprieve, a reprieve or a rest from the frustrations that we have around us by giving us some sort of cause bigger than ourselves. That's at best what we can create when we look at causing meaning for us, when we seek to give our own lives purpose. That's at best. At worst, what you create is a life of selfishness and of self-centeredness that basically uses other things and other people around them for one's own personal benefit. That's at worst, at worst, because that's what happens when we become the center of our lives. That's what happens when we become the center of our lives. Of our world, and we try to fulfill these things by doing stuff. The reason why, and I've always found this fascinating the reason why the likes of, say, Bill Gates, billionaire, uh, when I look at the likes of Steve Jobs when he was alive, when I look at some of the wealthiest people in the world, I, I don't know, is it, is it Christian that's your boss? Christian, I mean, I mean, it's great, $80 two nights for the men's retreat. Well, wow, that's, that's brilliant. But what I found is that when you have people that are so successfully financially, they're always looking for something more, aren't they? And I found with celebrities, I found with actors, I found with uh, sports athletes, all those sorts of things. They get involved in such things. Why? Because they're looking for something more than what their money was able to provide. Whether it's seek to ease their conscience or to give and to live their life for something bigger than themselves. They try to look for purpose. And I'm sorry to say that in especially an individualistic, independent, self-made mindset of today's society, the purpose and meaning that people seek to create will always end up falling short in regards to their contentment in life. Now, I want to establish that because sadly, much of the church today have that same mindset regarding their purpose. I can't remember the name of the preacher who basically said along the lines that for the church today, their heaven is comfort and ease in life. Their goal is to provide financially for their children. Their their gospel is the gospel of materialism. And sadly, for much of the church today, that's what it is. One book by the name of Dave Hunt. I mean, I don't agree with all the stuff that he said, but I remember one of the titles of his book was, Whatever Happened to Heaven? Whatever Happened to Living for Eternity? Whatever Happened for Revolving Your Purpose Around the Greater Purpose of God As Opposed to the Purposes that the World Promote as Ideal? And I think it's important then, if, if we believe... As we say, if we look at slop and what slop is, if we look, if God is sovereign and is in complete control, and God, who is a God of love, the love of whom of which we find our strength, how do those foundational truths then influence my purpose and the reason for why I am here, the reason why I'm still here, and how does that purpose or my idea of purpose fall into line with God's desire and God's heart, it's what the writer of Ecclesiastes said when he says, "This is the now, now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep His commandments." That was the conclusion that the writer of Ecclesiastes met. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and, and prayerfully we can have a look at these things together, and that God might stir our hearts for the purpose of our existence in the here and now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your sovereign rule. We thank you that you are a God of love and that your love is the source of our very being. And we thank you that you have created us for purpose. You give us purpose, not ourselves. So please help us to refocus. Please help us to reprioritize. Please help us to submit to your heart and your desires. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Something I just need to establish for you just from the get-go. Two weeks ago when I talked about Joseph and we looked at how God orchestrated everything, both the good and bad within Joseph's life to bring about his ultimate goal of saving souls. One thing I did actually, and I forgot, and I failed to mention this, I was thinking about it. Joseph sought to live For a purpose greater than himself, in the sense that he was submitted to the heart of God and what he did. He wasn't living how he wanted, he wasn't doing what he wanted. His concern was for the things of God, hence the reason why God was able to direct him so well in his life. That even in prison, that even in Potiphar's house, that even in the well, even in his home, God was able to direct him. Why? Because he wasn't doing or living in accordance with his own heart. I think it would have been a different matter. I'm not saying God cannot use those things because in Romans 8.28, we know God can use all things for good. But I'm saying with Joseph, he did actually have a heart submitted to and a life obedient to God's heart, not his own. So I just want to establish that to get off from the get-go, Okay. So I want you to turn to Genesis. I thought, if we're going to look at purpose, why don't we go back to the start? And I want you to jump back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to go back to the beginning. we're going to read Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 18. <clears throat> I, I did have a reader planned for today, but uh, they messaged me and said, I'm in another country. I went, oh. So, Brother Bill, Brother Bill, that's okay. So Genesis chapter 4. Sorry, chapter 2, verses 4 to 18. Now, I want to... There we go. Verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From, here, from there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher and the fourth river in the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, if we're looking at God's sovereignty, if God's love... God's purpose. If we're going to look at slop today, I want to establish a couple of things. The first two chapters of Genesis. The first chapter of Genesis is really quite cool because it shows the greatness of God, His sovereignty in the beginning, His involvement, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, His power, and God said, his order, like the foundations of day one to three, and the filling of those foundations of days three to six. His creativity, all things, land, sea, sky, His majesty, and His love when He made man in His image. When you look, and as I, I've always been excited by this as you read through the Scriptures, the revelation of how great God is, I think that gets lost on us at sometimes. Read the first chapter, you see that greatness, that majesty, that creativity, the, the love that's, that's all involved there. In the second chapter, we're given another description of, of the creation account. But this description is more specific. He goes into details. He goes into details of, of where the garden is. He goes into details of, of how he made man, which he breathed. He breathed into man's nostrils and he became a living being. The description of today's verse though specifically addresses God's sovereignty, God's love, and God's purpose, and that is found in verse 15. That the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And I want to look at three things today: God's sovereignty over us, God's love to us, and God's purpose for us. All taken From this particular verse. For example, God's sovereignty over us. The Lord God took the man and put him. The Lord God took the man and put him. Sovereignty is defined as, I didn't put it up there, the quality or state of having supreme authority or power, of being sovereign. It is basically the truth that God is in charge That God is in control, but not in the predetermined sense. I have spoken with many people about this, and there's a difference between predetermination and foreknowledge. Predetermination singles out and separates any free will. Any part of human choice. That's what predetermined. It's not predetermined in that sense. The fact that God is in control means that he has his hand on every single aspect. And I don't fully understand how that works. But throughout this theme in the scriptures is how God reigns supreme, how he is preeminent, as Colossians says how he transcends creation and i've got several verses for you to have a look at for example psalm 22:28 for dominion belongs to the lord and he rules over the nations romans 11:36 for from him and through him are all things to him be the glory forever amen colossians 1:16 for in him all things created things in sorry all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him revelation 411 from the King James thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created you look at those four verses and there are so many more within the scriptures that reflect and communicate the fact that god is boss that god is sovereign you look at these four verses and you see this He rules from him, through him, for him, for in him, and for your pleasure. As in God's pleasure, they are and were created. Those are taken from the four verses we just read that emphasize the fact that God is in control, that God is sovereign. And as a sovereign God, he has the right. I want you to hold this. He has the right to take and the right to place as he deems fit. However, he chooses. Whomever he chooses, wherever he chooses. That is his role. Now, there is an important fact that I must connect with that. So it can it can almost seem tyrannical when you explain it in such a way. It can almost seem tyrannical, but. As a parent, I make sovereign decisions for my children that my children have to abide by whether they like it or not. You know why? Because I'm in charge. But because I love my children, what I do as the one in charge is make the decision that will best benefit them. Does that make sense? So we must look at the sovereignty of God in connection with these qualities of God. You can't just look at one side of it and think, God, you're so unfair. or oh, God, why are you doing this? or oh, God, you're so mean. We, don't, we must connect that with the sheer greatness, the goodness, the mercy of God as well, because he only ever expresses himself as a being of perfect love. We looked at that last week with Pastor John. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. So when we look at the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God must always be viewed through the lens of God's love because He only ever exercises His sovereignty motivated by love for you and for me. So when you read through the Scriptures the reality of of God's goodness and Nahum, 1-7, one seven of God's justice in Psalm forty five six of God's mercy in Isaiah fifty five seven of God's holiness in Leviticus eleven forty four and of God's grace in Romans five fifteen. So when we look at God's sovereignty, we must we must look at it in connection with the sheer greatness of who He is and the compassion that He has as our heavenly Father. It has to. To, 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 to not view it that way, it's is like it's deliberately denying the very nature of who he is. It's, it's being actually quite selfish on my part for refusing to see God in that light. Because what I'm doing, what I'm doing, what I'm doing, I'm, I'm creating a God that accommodates my view. I'm creating a God that accommodates my understanding. I'm trying to box God into something that I can actually, one, be angry at, and two, justify my own disobedience. That's what I do. That's why we must look at God as a whole, in all His goodness, in all His grace, in all His sovereignty. As shared before, when when I came to Australia in 1997, Nathaniel was two years old, Emily was four months. And when we, when we prayed about it, my wife and I prayed about it, and we are coming over here, we thought, well, we have, to, we have to do a lot of big changes. But we did so for the benefit of our children as well as to be blessed by us. And so we, we packed up and we moved to another country. Now, did my children at that age have a say in that? Not really. Not really. Did they like it? I really don't know, to tell you the truth. I think they like it now. They're so young. They were so young. I know, if you ask Emily now, would she like to move back to New Zealand? She'll say no. So it was a good choice. So it was a good choice. Rao wants to move back to New Zealand. Do the rest of the family? No. No. This is our home now. And we made that choice. We made that choice. As parents, we made that choice because our, our will was sovereign in the lives of our children. And they had to submit to that. And now they reap the rewards of it. Why? Because now they're Australian citizens. That's right. They get wealthier. No, just kidding. They don't. Okay. All right. All right. But this is, this is the joy. This is the joy that they get to receive as well. Now, I am told within the Scriptures about my spiritual state outside of Christ. I am told within the Scriptures how I am separated from God through my sin. I am told in the Scriptures how that we all turn to, each, each person turns to their own way. I'm told, now do I like the fact that in the scriptures I'm told that I'm a sinner? Am I, do I like in the scriptures that I'm told that I fall short of the standard of God's word? Do I like in the scriptures that the scriptures teach about me that my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked? Do I like those realities that the Bible tells me about myself? No, no I don't. It's true. And so when Jesus, by his grace, When God, by His goodness, sent His Son to take upon Himself the form of a servant, to live a perfect life and die a gruesome death for me, to deal with my deceitful heart, to deal with my sinfulness, to deal with my selfishness, to deal with my my sin that was condemning me to a life of hell and eternal condemnation. When I look at what God did for that, He made a sovereign choice. His sovereign will was exercised in the giving of the Son, Jesus Christ. I had no problem with that, did I? I have no problem with that, submitting to that and saying, okay, Lord, please be merciful to me, a sinner. Please save me from my sin. And, and, and I trusted in Jesus and what he did for me on the cross and how he rose again the third day, to seat now ascended on the right hand of God, the Father. I had no problem with that at all. And so when he says to me now, the same sovereign God who saved me from my sin says, Joe, I've got this under control. And I'm like, no, you don't, Lord. We're, we're Something's not something else gelling there, is there? Something's not gelling there. I'm fine to receive the benefits of God's goodness and God's word when it benefits me. And when I don't want to do something, then I all of a sudden, no, that doesn't how it works. God will remain sovereign regardless. But if I truly want to experience the abundance of God's life that he promised me in Jesus Christ, then it's got to come down first to accepting that he is boss. It has to. You want to know why you find it frustrating in your Christian life because you haven't submitted to God's sovereignty. You want to know why you feel dry in your Christian life and why you think, oh, I don't get it. Why aren't I feeling the joy and, and, and the jubilation of being a Christian? Why? Maybe because we're not submitted to God's sovereignty and obedient to His sovereign Word. Maybe that could be it. This is why it's important to get things right, to put first things first. First. And it starts off with the sovereignty of God, Jerry Bridges. God is completely sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom, God is perfect in love. God in his love, always wills what is best for us. I want to read that part again. God is completely sovereign. God is infinite is infinite in wisdom. God is perfect in love. God in his love, always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best, and in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. You need to let that sink in. You, you need to experience that in the submission of our of our own lives to him. That's when we get to experience it. But you see, this is, see, the Lord God took the man and put him. That is God's sovereignty over us, which leads to this, God's love to us. It says he put him in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, in the context of what I'm sharing, is representative of God's love to his people. Is representative of his compassion to you and I. I remember sharing the story a number of years ago. But much like as a parent, and I know that if you're a new parent, the things that you do in preparation for your child to enter into the home, you buy the brand new cot, you get the mobiles above it, you redo the walls, you get all the toys sorted out, you prepare everything, you get everything ready for the child that's about to be born. Why? Because you love them. They're not even here yet. But you love them. And you want to give them the best that you can give because of your love for them. Why did God create everything else before he made Adam and Eve? Because as a loving father, he was getting everything ready to say, I've got it all. I've got the garden. I've got the trees. You can have any of the trees except this one. Man, you've you got the animals. You've got the companions. Even for Adam, even for Adam when he was born, not, not you, Adam, Saeed, so okay? But even before, even in for Adam, even for Adam, what? God said in 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he makes a helper for him. So you see, all of these things. He did that because of his love for his creation, his love for his people, his love for us. And the provision. Of that, when one looks at the beauty of what God has created, when one examines the variety of colors, when you look at God could have made everything black and white. God, I mean, look around. You look around here. I look around here, and I see a variety of colors. I see a variety of faces. I have a variety of smells—some good, not some not so good. Okay, but there's a variety of things all around us. You know why God gave such variety? Because of His love for you and I, for His love for His creation the variety of plants that you have around you, the, the beauty of a night sky full of stars, the, 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 the greatness of a, of a sunrise and of a sunset. When you walk around and you see the smile of a complete stranger who says, how you going? All of those things God had bestowed upon us in each other for you because of his love for you. God loves Variety. God loves variety and he wanted to give variety because to express this is how I feel about you. I want to give you the best that I can give. And that's why in Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4, we read this and we know this. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Without one thing said audibly, you see the magnificence and the creativity and the goodness and the compassion and the grace of a God that loves you. That's what you see every day. Every day, when you look at your husband and you look at your wife, Lord, thank you for blessing me with this person. When you look at your children, Lord, thank you for blessing me and expressing your love to me and the children that you've bestowed upon me. When you come to church and you see people around you, thank you so much, God, for the relationships that you've placed in my life here at Grace Christian Church. All of these, you are God's blessing to each other. That's exactly what you are. Why? Because God loves you, and he wants to show that to you through the person that's sitting next to you. That's the reality of it. That's, that is love, God's love to us. That is God's love to us. And, and I think we, we fail to see it. I mean, this stresses the power of God's gift in creation, the power of God's gift in each other as a demonstration of his love. You look at this passage, like I said, they don't have any speech, they don't have any words, but their voice is proclaimed throughout the entire world. That is the blessing. That's why it was shared last week at the wedding and re-emphasized by Pastor John last week, love, genuine love expressed itself in the giving of the best that it has to offer. To Adam and Eve, it was the Garden of Eden. To the world, it was Jesus. To the church, it was it's His Holy Spirit. To, to the saints, is the blessing of relationship. And, and, and the reason why I want to stress this is because when I, I look at this, see, God's love to us is to take us and to put us where we can not only experience the goodness of God's love, but demonstrate that love to others. So when you look at this, you look, say, Israel from Egypt to Canaan. God took the people of Israel to seek to put them in the promised land of Canaan. Didn't actually work out. So what happened? Well, it went from the wilderness, the barren wilderness. God sought to take them from the barrenness of the wilderness and place them in the fruitfulness of God's promises. When they were exiled into the Babylon and in Persia, what did God seek to do? God sought to take them from exile and put them back in their home where they could best glorify God. We are told in the scriptures in Colossians that we are taken from the kingdom of this world and placed within the kingdom of His dear Son. We are told in Galatians that we are taken from bondage and brought into liberty and freedom. We are taken from the burden of the law and placed and put within the promises of grace. That is what we have in the person. Of Jesus, that the goodness of God is such that He has taken us out of one thing to place us in the other to reap the rewards of His presence and of His relationship. now let's looking at things theologically. You know what I find fascinating? What I find fascinating is that where God has taken you from and placed you right now. the jobs that you're in, God has taken you from taken you from somewhere and put you there. Put you there where you can best make an impact for the kingdom of God. You could say, say, "He's taken you from singleness." and he's placed you in marriage. Why? To glorify God. As a single, it might be he's taking you from one specific job to place you in another job. Why? So you can best glorify him there. As a grandparent, you've taken, gone from a place of employment to a place of retirement. Why? So you can best glorify God as a grandparent. You need to look at your life from God's sovereign perspective and realize, okay, if you've taken me and placed me somewhere else, then it must be for a purpose then it must be for our purpose. And it's why our existence has purpose, because it falls into line with His sovereign will, His sovereignty over us, and in His love to us. We now have God's purpose for us. Look at this here, before I get into the third point. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of Him who has taken you out of darkness and put you in His marvelous light. He's taken you from darkness, put you in light. For what reason? To show forth the praises, to declare the praises of Him who's actually achieved that. That's what your purpose is. Because our purpose, our God's purpose for us is to work it and take care of it. Much like everything in life, as I've already spoken about, everything that is made has a purpose. Your life has a purpose, and the clothes you wear has a purpose. Now, we might seek to put other purposes on those, but it doesn't ever take away from the original design. Now, what I find fascinating, and I was talking with Faith about this the other day, the other day um, we view work as a negative thing, but work was actually part of God's original design. God intended work. Work was to be a blessing. This is the role that Adam had in the Garden of Eden, to work the garden and to care for the garden. We often think that paradise is all about sitting down, twiddling your thumbs, having a drink with a little umbrella in it, and thinking, oh, yeah, thanks, Lord, this is awesome. No, the paradise that God had created for Adam and Eve was for them to minister, was for them to care for and to work within that which God had given them. That was the purpose. And I think that's really quite fascinating, because we see work as something tedious, as something laborious, as, as, as a burden. Now, granted, in a fallen world, yes, in a fallen world, work has been perverted to be something that is more of a hassle than rather something to be enjoyed. That's why people always make a big deal. Do you enjoy your work? Yeah. Wow, you're very rare. But that's the reason why we say things like that. But! For Adam, his work was to care for that which God has given him. And what I find interesting is that when God, I think I put it up there, when God blessed him with a woman, with a wife, when God blessed Adam with Eve, it wasn't because Adam was less than God, what God created. Why? Because as I shared at the wedding last week, the fellowship God had actually created with Adam himself was more than enough. Remember, in chapter 2, verse 18, it says, God said it was not good for a man to be alone. It wasn't that Adam was lonely, it was that he was alone. And so God made a helper for him. He made a helper for him, not as some sort of entertainment or anything like that, but for the purpose that they, as a couple, can more effectively serve God together, to minister and care for that which God had made as a couple. Now, the reason I know this, because in chapter 2, verse 25, you read there, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You know why they felt no shame? It's because their eyes were upon God, not each other. They were focused on God and what God had given them, not on each other. God was their focus in the relationship. God was the focus in their purpose. God was the focus in their ministry. They felt no shame because God was their everything. That's the reason why they felt no shame. Now, once again, looking at the context of which you find yourself in right now, whether you be a builder, whether you be an accountant, whether you be a grandparent and a retiree, God has taken you and put you in the place that you are now for the purpose of working it and caring for it. When I say by working it and caring for it, meaning that those roles that you have in your life at this moment right now is something for you to protect and cherish for the benefit of bringing others closer to Jesus Christ. That's what it is. See, we, we have been so caught up in our lives and in ourselves that we have forgotten that every relationship that you have at work, both good and bad, have been given to you by God for the purpose of glorifying Him and ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've forgotten that. And the reason why we've forgotten that is because we've forgotten our purpose for being here. Now, you look at this. When you look at, okay, what is it that we're told to work and take care of, you could have a whole list of things. I could ask you, what sort of things are there? I mean, you could work and care for and cultivate things like this in your life, like holiness and evangelism or obedience or submission, discipleship, growth, forgiveness, acceptance, righteousness, thanksgiving, relationships, understanding, compassion, charity, the word, speech, testimony, love, all of these things. And, and, and this is just a, a, a scratch on the surface, the tip of the iceberg regarding things that could be developed, things that could be worked and, and cared for. But here, here's the thing, here's the thing. With any relationship that you have, you don't give a checklist of how it's supposed to be. With every relationship you have, you nurture with the person. Your purpose primarily is what? To know God, to worship Him, to glorify Him. In that knowing God and to worship Him, and all of that, you know what stems from that? That stems all of these things. It stems. It happens naturally. All right, I'm going to read what I write here. Um, according to God's intended design, work is appointed and instituted by God. Where it is viewed as the stewardship and the responsibility of what God has designated for us as his people. Once again, due to the fallen nature of this world, work is viewed as more of a negative rather than a positive. But it doesn't take away from the reality that work, the workplace, the career choice or life role you have today can fall into the, the role or the category of God's purpose for us. This falls into the purpose for, for you and I, we are entrusted to work and care for these sorts of things. We are, we are called to care for these sorts of things, relationships that we have, friendships, family, church, marriages, workmates, school, enemies even, persecutors, those that are helpless, those that are hopeless, are the elderly, strangers. I have shared in the past, and I'll share it with you again. If the context changes, the purpose never does. The context may change, but the purpose remains the same, to work it and care for that which God has placed you in. You and I both know that we are to glorify God, and you read that in the Scriptures. You and I both know that we are to preach the gospel and be instant in season and out of season. Therefore, Do I position myself in a way that that can be done? You and I both know that we are to make disciples of all nations. Therefore, am I investing into the people both young and old and leading them to Jesus? You and I both know we are to shine as a light for the kingdom of God. Therefore, what I am doing or what am I doing that either helps me to shine brighter or what dulls my brightness you see, once again, the contexts may change. Those contexts may change for each individual within the church. But the purpose remains the same. It just means whatever the context is, how do these work into it? Case in point, uh, I think it, it's a couple in this church. There's a couple in this church. And I remember when they became parents and they became part of a local kids group within their local community. The the context changed. Now they're parents. They can't go out as much. But what they did, and I was really blessed by this, they made the choice to fulfill the purpose of building relationships in a family group with people who don't know Jesus. Ah, that's smart. I look at Andrew Finn, who went over, and he's made choices to what he goes to do over in, in Bangkok, Thailand at the moment. And he said, as he shared last time when he was here, he shared that he was doing so, so he can ultimately reach out to Cambodia. Ah, see, the the context changed for him. The context changed for those parents, but the purpose remained the same. So they thought, okay, then how can I utilize my current context now and the greater purpose of proclaiming the gospel? See, that's how we need to look at our lives. God's sovereignty, God's love, and God's purpose for us. See, God's sovereignty over us, God's love to us, and God's purpose for us, we we are to, and I I know it sounds silly, but I'm encouraging you, you need to get more involved with slop. As opposed to selfish cravings and passions, as opposed to scraps. See, this, this, I, 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 just so you know, I wasn't going to have selfish there at the start, but I thought I'd better, Okay. This, this is what we have before us. Joanne got it, okay? This is how we need to weigh up our lives. God's sovereignty over us, God's love to us, and God's purpose for us is to take priority over our selfish cravings and passions. Because the only thing that will have the long-term effect that will lead to contentment in your life in the here and now is by holding on to slop, is by submitting to that and allowing slop influence your life in the right way, in God's particular way. That so means this, that where He has put you is done so because He loves you and also because He loves the people that are around you, your workmates, your family, your neighbors, your enemies even your acquaintances, your friends, your annoyances, because of his love for you, he'll put you in places. He will take you and put you in a place where others can participate in the love that he has. And that love, that, that way have you placed will be the opportunity to you to fulfill the purpose, God's purpose for his kingdom, to minister, to serve, to preach, to proclaim and live out the reality of Jesus' love and those that you encounter. Now, if we don't ever truly grasp these truths, we will become those frustrated, tedious, dissatisfied, discontented people that we don't want to be. Because that is not what God has designed. If you remember nothing else about today, remember slop. For in slop we find contentment and we find direction and guidance in our life. I'll just close in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your sovereignty over us, for your love to us and your purpose for us. Father, I just pray you might help us to submit to your heartbeat and your will to view our lives the way you want us to, Lord, and and not be so caught up in our own selfishness, our own cravings, our own desires. Father, we need your help stir our hearts to be doers of your word. Father, help us not just to be talkers of it. Father, help us to, to just see the value of what you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ, and to, to live that out with all that we, in every situation. Help us to view our lives from your sovereign perspective. Father, we need your help. If we need, Father, if we need to repent, Father, I pray you would give us the courage and the boldness to repent and to turn to you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Look, we're not going to close on a song, but if you do want to come up and be prayed for, can I invite the prayer team up? If you do want to be prayed for, please come up and we would love to pray for you. If you don't want to come up and pray for if you want to pray for somebody next to you, please pray for somebody next to you. You you guys are blessings. Look at each other and see the blessing God has given you and the person that is next to you even now. Enjoy your day, brothers and sisters. Keep pressing on. Thanks. One cross, one grace.